1: Hi, I'm Deb Blaschenberg. I'm your host of Yoga Birth Babies, and I am so excited about today's conversation. So if you listen to Yoga Birth Babies, you've probably realized I have a fair amount of podcasts about the body, about... The pelvic floor about diastasis, a little bit of anatomy. It is totally my jam. I love this stuff. So I reached out to Rachel Parada. She's a doctor of physical therapy. Let me quickly tell you a little bit about her. Rachel has focused on a majority of her career on the specialty of pelvic health physical therapy. Rachel has over 10 years of experience supporting men and women with a wide range of pelvic pain conditions, as well as supporting people through all phases of conception, pregnancy, postpartum, and menopause. So Rachel and I got a bit Geeky with this conversation. It was so good. So I saw online that she had a post about her own pelvic floor and that she was surprised of the state of it. And this is what she does. So I thought, okay, if she's having discoveries about her own pelvic floor, other people are too. And so I thought we can go into a conversation about how to figure out what's going on with your own pelvic floor so that you can make educated decisions of do we need to engage, do we need to release? So we put our Detective hats on, and we start talking. What are things that you can figure out? What are things you can do through internal work, through habits, through what you're feeling, through your posture, through your breath that can indicate what's going on through your pelvic floor? Is it overly recruited? See, that's my new language. I used to say overly engaged. Is it overly relaxed? We go over so much information that I think you'll figure out, you have a little information to figure out the state of your pelvic floor. And then we also talk about at what point do you work on all the do it yourselves and try to figure out your pelvic floor and you see a pelvic floor PT. And then we also talk about what do you even do when you see a pelvic floor PT? What do they do? It is such a great conversation. I think you're very much going to enjoy it. Before we get to that, let me just let you know that we have we're back in the studio. We are back in there doing our hybrid classes. I started on July 7th, I believe, and I was in there with my computer and we had class online and in the studio. And it was it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing to see these two worlds come together. We've built such an incredible online community and we're rebuilding our in-person community since everyone had given birth, since we're last open. And it just, I, I was just floored and it was just such an honor to be present for these two worlds coming together. And in honesty, it's, it's been a little scary restarting everything and to have that support just felt amazing. So thank you for those that showed up online, for those that showed up in the studio. Thank you for that support. And we will continue to be there for you as you have been for us at PYC. So check the schedule for our classes. And then also just a quick reminder, then I'll wrap this up (laughs) as soon as I can. Those that want to have their little cheat sheet of poses to do between classes, Go to our website and grab five simple solutions to the most common pregnancy pains, and you can have that. So when you can't make it to class, you know how to take care of your body because I want you to feel good on the inside and the outside. So check that out. And then last thing, don't forget we have our teacher training online for September and October, November and December, and then we're going to be back in person in 2022. I'm incredibly excited. Okay. Okay. Let's take a super quick break and please enjoy my conversation with Rachel.
0: Your brain needs support and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, Rachel. How are you? Hi, Deb. I'm so excited to speak with you and your audience today.
1: I love, as you know, (laughs) as we were talking about before, we kind of circle each other in social media. I've known about you and your work and you know that I love anything to do with pelvic floor, with the body. So today's conversation, I've just been giddy about all day. So thank you. Thank you for being here.
0: Yeah, of course. I'm happy to geek out over the pelvic floor wherever, <laughs> wherever you want to go. I'm so, ready. For you. Yay. So
1: I was following you. I think it was on, I don't know, one of those Facebook or Instagram and you had a post about your own pelvic floor and and I think you're talking about vaginal weights and checking your own pelvic floor. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is a conversation I want to have. So I think that's the direction we're going to head. But before we get in there, let's just have a little bit, I'd love to learn a little bit about you. I feel like I only know you through social media and learn why and how you decide to focus on being a pelvic floor PT.
0: Sure. So I'm a physical therapist. I've been specializing in pelvic health for the last 11 of my 12 years as a PT. So I jumped in pretty quickly. I was working in the New York City area, and over the last year, I've been back on Long Island, and I see people in person on Long Island. I see people virtually throughout New York. I'm also a mom of two kids. My little one is turning three in a few days, and my older one is is five. And I started out, again, very early in my career, switching from orthopedic sports medicine to pelvic health. I was very interested in birth, just personally. I was the type of person, I think, similar to many other kinds of birth professionals where I would read birth stories, I would watch YouTube, birth videos. I was like very interested in the birth world. So I thought about becoming a doula. I went to some doula trainings. I wasn't quite sure how to integrate that into my schedule as a physical therapist, being an employee. So I shifted over and realized that I could specialize in pregnancy, postpartum, as a physical therapist, and I went to my first course, and that was it. I was hooked. I switched jobs, I uh, took a mentorship, and um, I never looked back. I love, I love this type of physical therapy.
1: It is really, it is really special. And actually that made me think of something. So I was in class, I don't know if it had been Monday or Tuesday, and I had a student who said, okay, Deb, I took your advice. I went to see a physical therapist and he told me X, Y, and Z. And when I was listening to her, I'm like, was he a a woman's health or a phys- like a PT for the pelvic floor. She's like, no, no, he was just a sports medicine. And what he was saying is like, oh, you're pregnant. You just should keep doing as many Kegels as you can, which has made me like, oh, is this someone specialized? So can you describe a bit of the difference between a physical therapist that focuses on pelvic health and your general sports physical therapist?
0: Sure. It's a great thing to talk about because that does happen. Pretty often, and it's hard for the general public to know what goes into being a specialist. And in the U.S., there is a wide range of people calling themselves specialists. So there's not just really one path. So here in the U.S., the general physical therapy education, which is now a master's or a doctorate, does not necessarily have to include any prenatal, postpartum, or pelvic floor um, information. So that was the case for me too in school. Um, so some schools don't really have any of this in their education. Some schools are adding in an elective or, um, you know, a semester or even one class. So most of us have to then, after graduation of becoming a general PT, we then seek out extra education. And there's a couple of different companies and organizations that teach this as continued education. So we go to courses and we practice with other physical therapists, and that's kind of the gateway into doing the specialized work. From there, so some people take the courses and they are mentored and that is how they practice. And there's starting to be more certification programs in the US that then after you take a certain number of courses, you can study for a board certification and become a specialist according to these different organizations. So it can really run the gamut of a general PT. Might not really have much background at all in treating someone in pregnancy or postpartum. Mm,
1: I'm so glad that you said that because I don't think people realize that and then they're hearing, oh, you know, she really thought she was doing the right thing. She's like, I'm with Kaiser. This is what they said. They go to this PT and this is what he told me. So I'm glad that you explained the difference because someone might not know that and then just follow that direction. That person may not have the background. So wonderful. All right. So let's get into your story. So as I mentioned, you shared a little bit of your own pelvic floor story online. Can you share a little bit about what your pelvic floor story has been? And and that way we can start to have people understand, kind of demystify this whole Pelvic floor thing because I think a lot of people don't really even know what muscles they are and how to
0: find them. So, yeah,
1: share your story if you don't mind.
0: Sure. So, it's interesting, like uh, many other people, learning about my own pelvic floor health has been a journey. You know, as a clinician, I know all of the things um, I need to know, like academically, this is what I do day in and day out. But you know, as someone that has given birth myself, it's still my own journey in you know postpartum healing. So people might assume that as a clinician, we just like sail through this period, but we have the same thing. We have the same feelings, and we have the same hesitancy sometimes um, to do this kind of work. So for me, I had two vaginal births. I was lucky that my births were you know pretty straightforward. I did have second degree tears with both births. And I definitely had some avoidance at checking out my own pelvic floor after both of my births. And I'm not sure if it's because I feel like, oh, I know too much. I don't really want to like (laughs) kind of dive in and be like, hmm, you know, like I was feeling pretty good. So I'm not really, you know, sure what my hesitancy um, was all about. But I definitely share that experience with my clients. Like this does take a like leap of faith to like dive into. So what I had written about in the Instagram post that you had seen was I was getting back to exercise about two and a half years after my second baby. And I was ramping up to some more like running, jumping. And with some jumping, I was having some leaking urine. That's some stress incontinence. And I decided, okay, like I've had enough. I need to really, like, I have, I know all this stuff. Let me really just like dive in and see what's going on. And I was working out like in a you know separate room in my house and it has a big mirrored closet. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to like get undressed. Let me just like see what's going on. Why am I having this leaking? And I was a bit surprised to find, again, I kind of felt okay in my body. I had been doing some Kegels. I do them with my clients. I had been squatting and kind of all different things. And I was kind of surprised when I looked that the tear that I had had with my second baby was not repaired as well as I would have liked. Mm. Um, Meaning Uh, A second-degree tear involves the tear of muscle, and it seemed like I did not really have muscle bulk there, that it was mostly skin that had been repaired. And so I'm already thinking, like, hmm, like I'm missing some muscle tissue there, perhaps. And then when I checked my strength, so we'll talk about this, but you can you know, put your own finger internally in the vaginal canal, and you can try a Kegel, and I was kind of surprised that the Kegel was much weaker than I had thought. So even though I had been doing Kegels, and they felt good in my body. When I had checked, I was like, oh, this is definitely missing some strength. So that's what I wrote about. And that led me to use um, play with some vaginal weights, and we can talk about when that's appropriate or not. Um, but that's really the, the experience I had written about was me as the postpartum person really diving in and saying, okay, it's time for me to check this out, what's going on.
1: And I, I love that because I think you can then take the concern, well, not even the concern, what's the right word? you who know all this stuff and yet you still had to step back and be like, let's examine. I think that's just so powerful. So the person that may not have that background who might be hesitant, this might give them the permission to be like, let's really just check this out and let's see what's going on instead of just kind of making an assumption. So thank you for being brave enough and really sharing that story. I think that's wonderful. But I also realize as we keep talking about pelvic floor, pelvic floor, some people might be so new to this conversation, they're not quite sure exactly. We say pelvic floor, but what muscles are they? How can someone start to just identify what we're talking about?
0: Sure. I think that's really common. I hear all the time clients say, oh, in the class we were doing these Kegels, but I really don't. Every single person will say, I'm not sure if I'm doing them. Mm -hmm. And I say, it's fair. We don't really learn this in gym class growing up. You know, It's not something that really commonly is talked about. So the pelvic floor muscles are the muscles that span the bottom or the outlet of the pelvis. Depending on how you name them, there's 14 to 16 muscles. So I like to emphasize that there's a lot of muscles. So the fact that we don't talk about it, I think really does a disservice to people because there's a lot that can be going on there. The muscles span, if people want to get an idea of where they are, if they bring their hands down to their lower belly and find their pubic bone in the front, And then their tailbone in the back, the muscles span from front to back, pubic bone to tailbone, and then from side to side, sit bone to sit bone. So anything within that diamond that's muscular is pelvic floor muscle, and they control the sphincters of where we urinate from, where we have bowel movements, they have sexual function, and they support the pelvic organs and the skeleton.
1: That is incredibly helpful. And let's actually jump into, I'm kind of bobbing around our questions, but I've had students, when we start talking about engaging and releasing, that they actually are not sure if they're engaging or if they're releasing. And I remember when I was working with a PT, she was saying a lot of people think they're engaging and they're actually bulging. Is there language that you use with your clients that can really specify the engagement and as well as the releasement.
0: Sure. It's it's interesting. Yeah, there is some research that shows that using just verbal cues for a certain percent of people um, results in them doing the opposite. And it's just this lack of, through our lifespan, knowing kind of which way is which. It's not a motor or muscle pattern that we're used to to doing. So, cues are so variable and everyone responds differently to cues. I think some of the most popular ones that I might use, like in sitting would be to grasp a blueberry. This is a common one. We all have our favorite ones. Grasp a blueberry, pick up a blueberry with your anal sphincter or with the vagina. You can pick it up and you can pick it down, but put it down. But really the best way to know is to either like touch or look or feel inside. Um, that really will give you the most accurate way of knowing if this is actually going up or going down. So
1: if someone takes a mirror and looks, what do we want them to see on the engagement and the releasement? Is releasement a word?
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's funny. We use a lot of different terms because it's, it's not super clear what what is actually happening, meaning a muscle contracts and it releases, but we use like release, relax, let go, open. In this area, it takes a lot of different cues to really describe what we're trying to get at. Mm -hmm. So I'll take releasement. (laughs) Um, If someone takes off their clothes and looks in a mirror, what they should see on the engagement or the contraction is that the anal sphincter will close. The vaginal opening should move towards closure. The clitoris may move down. We're taught that's called like a little nod. There has to be a good amount of strength in certain muscles to see that. And then the perineum, that's the area between the vaginal opening and the anal sphincter. That should move in towards the person, like in towards your body. And then on the release, release is a bit more subtle to perceive, but there should be a movement back towards wherever you started, back towards whatever your neutral position is.
1: Mm. That is helpful. I always call it a little indent, but I like that kind of lifts up into the person. So let's start to talk about how somebody... So you talked about using their own fingers to feel. Are they getting some engagement around? If someone sticks their fingers into the vaginal canal, are they feeling some tone? What are other indicators that somebody can start to feel if their muscles are weak or tight or strong or balanced?
0: Sure. So I think you can go by two different categories. You can go by what you feel on the self-assessment. So a self-assessment, if you're checking internally, the muscles should feel flexible. So if you put a lubricated finger into the vagina and you press around, so the muscles are located about one knuckle inside, two knuckles inside, and three knuckles in terms of depth, there's different layers. The muscles in general should feel flexible. So I usually... The analogy that should feel like pressing your tongue inside your cheek, there should be some movement there. So the muscles should feel flexible. You should be able to feel that you can squeeze around the finger and then that squeeze comes off. People that have trouble releasing, the muscles engage well, like they feel pressure around their finger and then kind of nothing happens. Like the release is not as clear as the squeeze. So that's an internal self-assessment. And then you can also go by symptoms. So I can talk about that too, how you can kind of gauge by what kinds of symptoms you have that if your pelvic floor may be on the more over-engaged side or more on the under-engaged side. Yes.
1: I definitely want to hear that, but I do have a question and and I get a little personal on this. When I had my first child, my pelvic floor was a hot mess. Um, It just was you know, after pushing for five hours. It just was kind of, it had it. So I did see a couple of pelvic floor PTs and when she was doing internal work, she would say, okay, the superficial at the opening was really good, but I was losing it at the top. So how can someone start to feel? Is it just the the tone just keeps going up, up, up when they're engaging up?
0: Meaning... How do you know that the Kegel is engaging all the way way up? Yeah. So it's
1: not just because she'd be like, yeah, you got the superficial, but I'm not feeling it higher up in the deeper levels
0: or deeper layers. Sure. So this is where it becomes really a little bit tricky to assess yourself because if you don't have the the background of feeling so many different Mm, people engage, it's hard to pull from that. So it's hard to make a comparison, but in general, What you should feel is engagement. Let's say if the first layer is about one knuckle inside and the third layer is about your third knuckle and you put your finger all the way inside the vagina, you should feel engagement at the opening and deeper. I'm also looking forward to the muscles. The muscles should squeeze and lift up and kind of squish your finger against your pubic bone, if that makes sense. That's where the urethra is and the muscles come up. From the bottom, like from the anal sphincter area, and the deep muscles are called levator ani. They elevate the anus. And they should all lift up and almost close the door shut on the urethra. I'm not sure if you're able to picture that happening.
1: I do. I've had this kind of image recently of an upside down calla lily that we're kind of drawing up. I don't know I if like that this. makes any sense. <laughs> I like that. Go buy that one. <laughs> so that also leads me to when people think about, I've been told to do Kegels. I'm told to just stop, like I had to stop the flow of urine. It's so much more than just the urethra sphincter.
0: Right. And what's interesting is the cueing is a little bit all over the place, I feel like, in the pelvic floor world. And when you cue just the stop of flow of urine, the research tells us that you're not actually getting the best pelvic floor engagement because you're not getting that deep levator ani level. Mm -hmm. And that deep layer we're finding is actually very involved in keeping continence. So getting that deep layer does not happen as well with the stop the flow of urine cue. So I find in practice that I do cue a bit differently than a lot of people, but the research tells us that actually, if you tell someone to close their anal sphincter, like stopping gas, that that gets the best compression even inside the vagina at the urethra. And for a lot of people, but not everybody, that's a really good cue. So this goes back to, this becomes a little bit of an art where someone like myself can figure out what might be a really good cue for an individual.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now that's super
1: helpful. Right? So we talked about internally feeling oneself to feel like, am I getting the engagement? Am I getting it all the way up all the knuckles? What are some, and, and I totally stopped you. What are some other more external ways to think about the, the state of the pelvic floor?
0: Sure. So you can also check, I'll talk about symptoms in a moment, but you can also check your pelvic floor externally without undressing. So if that's even someone's comfort level. Um, I like to tell people that you don't necessarily need to undress. You don't necessarily have to put the finger inside the vagina. You can lay your finger along your tailbone. So you can slide your hand down your low back and your middle finger, let's say can hug your tailbone. It's going to be in the crack of your bottom and the tailbone connects to the deep pelvic floor. So if you contract your pelvic floor, the tailbone can tuck under a little bit. And if you release it, it can come out. So it's a kind of a nice way too, if you're not ready to get undressed or use your finger that you can also connect with your pelvic floor.
1: I've been taught, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I have been wrong many times. Um, I've had people palpate the inner side of their sit bone, because doesn't that
0: connect to the levator and eye as well? Perfect. Yep, absolutely. So that's another place that a lot of physical therapists, let's say that don't do internal work, that is where they will feel the pelvic floor. So I would say it's a little bit more subtle sometimes than the tailbone, but you can definitely, anything in side, the sit bones, what we call medial to the sit bones is pelvic floor, levator ani. It's a perfect place to feel the engagement. Oh, That's are, good. You're good. Yep. Thanks. I, I like this stuff. This is,
1: <laughs> and I always, might teach it in class and I literally, am like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to reach around and feel the inside my sit bone. My clothes mm-hmm. are on. You guys can do it too. And I'd say maybe 10% of people join me and the other is just like, what is she doing? All right. So let's go. Actually, you know something? I'm looking at the time. We're going to take a super quick break and we come back. I want to hear these symptoms what are ways to know tight loose what's going on we'll be right back if you're struggling to lose weight you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or Zepbound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you meet plush care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey if you qualify they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home Okay, we are back. Woohoo! All right, the symptoms. This is exciting because not everyone's willing to touch their own body. So what are other ways to figure out the state of one's pelvic floor?
0: Sure. So symptoms of a pelvic floor that's underactive, perhaps a bit weak. We typically think that someone might present with leaking urine, incontinence with coughing and sneezing. Those are things that involve a lot of pressure on the pelvic floor. We also think about people that might be experiencing pressure in the pelvis, the feeling of pressure, and sometimes that's due to what we call pelvic organ prolapse, which is an elongation of the vaginal walls that happens with increased pressure. The tricky thing is sometimes people that are having these symptoms have some degree of actual overactivity. So there is some overlap, and that's why it's a little hard to make assumptions. Sometimes people are leaking because the muscles are a bit overengaged, engaged and they're not able to react quickly enough. So it's a little bit of a tricky spot, but they're, those kinds of symptoms, leaking with pressure, prolapse, tend to have a weakness component. They might also have a little bit of a tightness component. So that's, what, again, that kind of makes this on a spectrum and a little bit of an art when it comes to assessing. The symptoms of over-engagement or over, we're now trying to say over-recruitment, like a pelvic floor that jumps in too much or when it doesn't have to, Would be oftentimes urinary frequency, urinary urgency, pain with penetrative sexual activity or pelvic exams or tampons. Some people get a spasm in their bottom, like actually their anal sphincter spasms. It's a lot more common than I think people admit. Um... And also, again, people with stress incontinence and prolapse can have some degree of this overactivity. Like you were saying, after birth, the pelvic floor kind of doesn't know which way is which. (laughs) So sometimes we're seeing a lot of both components after birth.
1: Yeah. I think people think, okay, a baby came out, the muscles just move wide open, but they can also recoil and get really tight. Is that correct? Yes.
0: Yes. I often feel too that They're overcompensating for the core. I feel like the core takes its another topic, but it takes a really big hit. And I feel like a lot of times that overactivity in the pelvic floor, even if it was really involved in the birth and it's tired and it was, you know, went through a big stretch, It tends to go into a little bit of spasm, just really trying to help the core is how I think of it.
1: That's what I was also wondering about. Like, so if we start to think about other, like a little put our detective hats on, we think, okay, the posterior chain is probably kind of shot postpartum. Um, We get that flat mom butt situation Mm -hmm. going on. The front body's been stretched out. The ribs might be flared. The diaphragm's kind of not sure exactly how to move. Doesn't, with all of those likely contribute to a tight pelvic floor.
0: Right. Or one of like what we calling now this over Over
1: recruitment. Okay. I'm going to have to
0: change my language. Okay. (laughs) But if it's trying to do the job of all these other things and what's happening above and behind are having a hard time, the pelvic floor is going to show, you know, show the effects of that as well.
1: So for, I know yoga teachers might be listening to this, how are they, how would they best work with the pregnant and postpartum body when it comes to pelvic floor work, knowing that there's so many muscles that might have weakened during pregnancy and postpartum. And then if it's a group setting, it's not one-on-one, how to help their students figure out where and how to work, or should we just always offer some tone and some release.
0: Yeah. I think group work is really challenging. So I really give everyone that does group work a lot of credit because I think it's much more difficult than doing one-on-one work. I think the biggest thing would be to, like you mentioned, always talking about both ends because even someone that is on an extreme of one end or the other benefits from learning how to fully engage and fully released. So I think that's a really safe place to be is I feel that people that don't have much information in this area are always queuing the Kegel, 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 and there's not much mention of having that contraction come back down. So I feel like in pregnancy and postpartum, instructors that are queuing both directions are really doing a great job, just helping people have awareness that they have to try to move in both ways.
1: Good. How can someone's breathing pattern and habits shed some light on the state of their pelvic floor? So let me just give you a little bit of where I'm coming from. So I am knee deep in this pelvic floor um, physical therapy course online. It's led by a physical therapist. I am not a physical therapist, clearly. And I'm just like blown. Every little bit, I'm just drinking in and I'm just loving it. And we've been talking a lot about breathing patterns and how, and so I know about the, I think of the pelvic floor kind of like a jellyfish and I understand the diaphragm and the pelvic floor work in concert, but for the average person or again, for the yoga teacher, what might they learn about their breathing pattern that might make, that might give again, a little detective hat of what their pelvic floor is all about?
0: Sure. It's a, I love this question because I love problem solving. So when I'm with clients, it's really fun to also show them that maybe their pelvic floor is not this hot mess. Maybe we just have to look at some other things as well. So as you mentioned, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor, it's so cool. We've seen on functional MRI that they move in this parallel movement, right? good diaphragmatic breath, the pelvic floor descends as the diaphragm comes down and they both move up together. So that really has changed the way we think about how the breath and core affect the pelvic floor. I'm not a purist. Like I'm not someone who thinks, oh, if you're not breathing well and you're just sitting around your house, you're damaging your pelvic floor. But I, what we do see, what I see often is that these breathing tendencies come into play a lot when you start to add more challenge to the body. So for my clients, let's say if they go back to running or jumping or lifting weights and they have breath tendencies that tend to maybe kind of like hold tension or bear down, then we're seeing that impact on the pelvic floor.
1: And I think paradoxical breathers too, those, I also call that backwards breathing, would affect the pelvic floor because that whole pressure canister is off.
0: Yes. And again, I think that I'm not, like I I try to get people into the breathing pattern that we prefer. I think that it's good postpartum at least to train that because that is what we see happen in these studies more naturally but I don't want to stress folks out being like, this is the only way, because as we see, let's say in sports, it's good to be able to do things all kinds of ways. Like the pelvic floor does not have to always match the diaphragm, which is kind of cool. It's like at a higher level of training, can you kind of do the opposite? You know, like, cause athletes, let's say can't really think about their breathing when they're doing a sport, let's say. Yep. So the adaptability there is really important. So I don't mean to confuse folks, but I do start in like the basic retraining, pregnancy and postpartum, doing that matched diaphragm pelvic floor work. Uh Um, But at a higher level, we want to see the pelvic floor start to respond in many different uh, instances. Oh, I was, know it's th- I took that a little sideways there.
1: No, I liked it. I like hearing different thoughts because then I can kind of chew on that and, and work it out in my mind. So let's also talk about posture in the pelvic floor because when we think of, especially about the postpartum body, it is such a different state. Holding a baby, sometimes some people have twins too. It just re- and we already know that the pregnant spine changes so much due to the weight, and then we that we have we're tired. If someone's breastfeeding, the chest is affected holding babies. Let's talk about what does that posture do to our poor pelvic floor muscles?
0: Sure. So I am trying to change my language just personally a little bit. I feel like posture is a movement in PT to get into maybe some language that... um, people can connect with without kind of feeling like tense or like they're always doing something wrong. So I feel like the minute in my line of work, someone comes in, they're always like, oh, this is because I have bad posture. Like everyone's so self-conscious of their posture. So I talk about tendencies and the tendency that we see postpartum pretty often is that the pelvis is like shifted forward, right? And the rib cage is shifted back, right? It's typical that happens towards the end of the practice. And then postpartum, people are catching themselves there. It's kind of become their neutral. Mm -hmm. And again, like we were saying with the breathing, I see it really start to impact folks that are having pressure issues. So symptoms of pelvic pressure with things like prolapse, sometimes this tendency, this alignment tendency tends to give them more symptoms. And then again, when you add more challenge to the body, these things kind of like compound on top of each other, where if we get someone more vertical, like rib cage back over the pelvis or even slightly leaning forward, a lot of times their pelvic floor symptoms will start to resolve more quickly.
1: That is really interesting. All right. I want to now jump into what we had started talking about at the beginning, vaginal weights. Let's
0: open that conversation. <laughs> go. There <laughs> you go. Sure. Take it. I mean... Vaginal weights, I think, are even controversial within physical therapy. I think there's as many different opinions about them as there are pelvic floor PTs. Oh, share, share. What's the controversy? Um, so it's not super straightforward. The pelvic floor, you can only load it so many ways and challenge it so many ways. So a lot of what I think happens postpartum is not only weakness, but also just a loss of muscle memory, we would say, like what we call motor patterns. Like the pelvic floor doesn't seem to come along like quick enough or when you need it to. So a lot of that is coordination training and people seem to get better pretty quickly. However, sometimes there is actual like muscle injury or muscle weakness. And then the challenge becomes like if you've done all the other basic training, regular kegels lying down, kegels standing up, kegels with knee squeeze, like if you've challenged the system, kegels while you squat, if you've done all this challenge and the pelvic floor really still isn't meeting the demand, like for me, I had done all those things and I was like, oh, this is still really weak there's only so many ways we don't have resistance bands, right? Or kettlebells for the <laughs> pelvic floor. It's like, oh, how can you get more out of the pelvic floor? So and that's the kind of case where using a vaginal weight might be helpful because it's a controlled load. Running and jumping will load the pelvic floor too. But if you're symptomatic, you might not want to start there. Mm-hmm. So adding a vaginal weight is a controlled way to add some load. But again, it, it's a little tricky to prescribe because if someone is in that, let's say, over-engaged or over-active state. We don't want them putting in a weight and then just like walking around their house for 30 minutes. Sometimes that's what comes in the pamphlets, like just put in a weight and walk around. They already have a pelvic floor that's over-recruited. That might not be the best for them. So maybe using the weights, making sure people are going through the full range of motion and adding that load might help somebody progress if they're not seeing progression with other exercises.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Would also working the supporting muscles, like the glutes and the adductors, would that help? Would that That's not load though. I guess that wouldn't be the same thing.
0: But the the answer is yes, in terms of the pelvic floor, again, works in concert with all those muscles. So if someone's symptomatic, A lot of times the pelvic floor has too much stress on it, maybe because those other muscles aren't picking up what they're supposed to be doing. So Mm -hmm. I often see that in people that are returning to athletics, that pelvic floor PTs also need to make sure people are strong in their, let's say, lower extremity, hips and the glutes. And I personally look at, can people like squat on one leg if they want to run? Because if they go back to running, running is a one leg mini squat every time your foot hits the ground. If you're leaking, it might be because as your foot hits the ground, that whole leg starts to turn in, and the orthopedic structures are not really doing their job, and that's transmitting down to the pelvic floor. So you're right. It's absolutely a full-picture Detective work, which what makes it fun for me and sounds like makes it fun
1: for it you. It does, it really does. So then for years, years and years ago, I had a yoga teacher talking about looking at different bodies and stuff. So ever since then, now whenever someone sees me in the streets, they're like, she's looking at me. I get so interested in looking at how someone's feet are walking. Are they, are they turned out? Are they falling in the arches? What's going up the hips and kind of like working my way up their body, just looking at their, their pelvis. Is it even? Is their spine even? It's, It's a little crazy, but it just makes me think about the structure of people's bodies. I find it absolutely fascinating. All right. So you gave some amazing points. Okay. Looking at your pelvic floor with a mirror. Are are we lifting? Are we releasing? Talking about touching around the pelvis. What kind of feedback are we getting? Vaginal weight. So at what point does someone ditch the do-it-yourself efforts and try to find some pelvic floor balancing and see a pelvic floor PT?
0: Sure. So I think that self-exploration piece is really valuable no matter what, right? Because it's really important to know your body. And I always trust what clients tell me about their own body. So having that reference point is really, really valuable. I think if someone is symptomatic, then they're having a challenge somewhere along that spectrum. So let's say someone is not symptomatic. They're not having any leaking urine or pressure. I still like them to go through, let's say, postpartum, like a progressive rehab program, whether they return to postnatal yoga or some other like postpartum specific programs. I think there does have to be a ramp up of challenge to the body. But if someone is, those people might be okay not seeing a pelvic PT. My bias is of course is like one visit would be so amazing to get information and feedback on your tendencies and you can carry that through your lifespan. Um, So I really, that would be the, my biggest wish is like this one visit screen, get a lot of information Um, For people who are symptomatic and they have not been able to resolve the symptoms on their own, a lot of times it just takes a second set of eyes to find where kind of on that continuum pelvic floor function are they having their challenge. And hopefully the pelvic PT can pinpoint that and they can take that information to change what they're doing and then retest like now are things better? Are we on the right track? So people who are feeling good, I would still love them to come in one time, but they're probably okay. I don't want to also fear monger. Like I've had clients... That didn't exercise for five years, even though they had no symptoms because they were so scared. They were like, I was supposed to see a public key and I didn't, so I did nothing. You know, I don't want to fear monger. Like, if you're feeling okay, you're probably okay. I would still love to see you one time. If you're symptomatic, a lot of times it takes someone, even for you know, ourselves as professionals, a second set of eyes to maybe look at something that you haven't considered.
1: Mm, that's, that's helpful. If the symptoms are still there, yes. All right. So someone may think, all right, I've tried to do it myself. My symptoms are still here. I should see a pelvic floor PT, but it seems overwhelming. So I will say, the first time I went in and had internal work done, I was laying there. I'm like, oh, oh, we're doing this, okay? Like it was, and I had been to births as a jewel, Like that was not something so out of my mind, but it was like, what? What are we going to be doing? So, what does a pelvic floor PT do? Let's just kind of rip that bandaid off and demystify it.
0: Sure. I think that's so fair. I think sometimes we forget as pelvic floor PTs that that is an unusual thing. You know, sometimes I forget like, oh wait, did you know we were going to do intern, before we get undressed? You know, like, did you know this was part of it? I don't want to catch people off guard. What people, the, the external stuff is probably familiar to folks if they've ever seen a PT. Like a PT will probably do an assessment like, how do you look in standing? They might ask you to move and squat and some different things. But the, the different part for most people is that most pelvic floor specialists We'll want to do an internal assessment if that's what you consent to, because without that, there's like this little degree of uncertainty. Like we can really tell a lot based on someone's symptoms and feeling externally, but it's interesting. Like we never quite know for sure, and the internal gives us a lot of information. So personally, I can tell you what I do. I have clients get undressed from the waist down. I use a big sheet over their lap. We try to make it really comfy. Um, I don't use crunchy paper. We don't have stirrups or speculums as PTs. Most of us don't use anything like that. We try to make it very comfortable. I like to look externally at someone's perineum, especially if they've had a vaginal birth. I like to look if there's a, if there's scar tissue, I like to look at how the tissue is looking because we know that if someone is expressing milk, then there's decreased estrogen. I look at all of those things externally. I may also touch externally. If there's a scar by the perineum or if they're having some pain, I will palpate or touch the muscles externally. Then we use a gloved, lubricated finger. I use just one finger, organic lubricant. We try to make it nice. And again, we're very gentle. I'm not looking for the cervix. We're not doing um, you know anything that feels really deep or a lot of pressure. And I'm gently feeling with my finger, how do the muscles feel? Do they have that That give that flexibility. Do I feel any scar tissue from the inside? Do I feel or see signs that the pelvic walls have stretched in the pregnancy, or that's that pelvic organ prolapse? And then I'm testing for strains. What does it feel like when the pelvic floor engages? Can I find a good cue for you? Does it feel good on each side? Those kinds of specific things. Do the pelvic floor let go? So those are the kinds of things that we're looking for internally, as well as, I guess, painful points. If there's um, tight spots in the muscle, we might press gently on those, similar to how we touch like muscle knots in other parts of the area of the body.
1: I think that was just so important. The one thing that really stuck out to my ears was we're not looking at your cervix because a lot of people that just had a baby, cervical exams are not that comfortable, especially if they're in labor. And so they may have an association with someone going internally to a lot of discomfort. So I think it was really important to highlight you're not going up that high and it's not going to have that same intensity.
0: Correct. Right. Unless someone's looking specifically for something there, but most of the time we're not. And I agree with you. I think when you think of an internal exam, you think of a cervical exam or a Pap smear, and so people are very not and they used clench. to. <laughs> yes, and they're not used to this really like more gentle approach to an internal assessment.
1: Although, would you be going that high if there was pelvic organ prolapse to feel how prolapsed it is, or would it already be pretty far down because it's prolapsed?
0: Yeah. So it's a good question. So, I mean, the cervix normally is is not the most often thing that would descend in a prolapse. Um, So usually the top wall where the bladder sits and we can see that we might feel it, but again, it's not feeling like the discomfort of, you know, getting a pap smear or having a cervical exam. Oh, this was,
1: (laughs) thank you for uh, geeking out with me on this because I've thoroughly enjoyed this. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. What is one tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new and expectant parents? And you can have any hat on. You could have your parent hat on. You can have your physical therapist hat on or, or both. All right, we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify, whether you're selling a little or a lot
0: Sure. So I will share something that I share with my clients. And that is in pregnancy, I always suggest that people compile a list of resources that they want to, might want to access postpartum. So that can include a parent support group, a mental health professional, feeding lactation support, a pelvic PT. I think it's really good to have that type of list ready to go because New Parenthood, right, there can be different types of challenges. And I know from myself that that period can be, you know, a big blur, like a haze. And it's hard to do research or make decisions in that period, even if you really need something. So I find that kind of looking, either asking your doula or a yoga instructor like yourself or the birth community for some recommendations, checking those people out, just having an idea of who you'll call if you need a certain type of support.
1: That makes so much sense because when someone just had a baby, they're not really in the mindset. There's so much change and so much on them. They're not in the mindset necessarily to start to research. That is a great suggestion. So you've given such good information. Where can people find your work?
0: Sure. So I am on Instagram. I'm happy to answer questions there. My name is Rachel underscore Parada, P-A-R-R-O-T-T-A underscore D-P-T. I have a Facebook page for my practice. That's Parada Physical Therapy. And I have a website for my practice, rachelparada.com
1: wonderful. And I forgot that you were out in Long Island and I've had people ask me, they've moved out from the city, where can they see people in Long Island? So I will 100% be sending people your way. Thank you so much for geeking out with me. This was
0: a lot of fun. Thank you. I agree. I hope that everyone else enjoyed it <laughs> and as, as much as we did. This has
1: been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com.
0: It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs>